1996, the U.S. Air Force started a uh, groundbreaking initiative. They started talking about mental health. Uh, now, uh, mental health has been sort of a hot topic in our culture, especially over the last two years with the pandemic and societal unrest and all of that. But think, this was 1996 and a branch of the military. So this was kind of a big deal. And so what uh, Colonel Litz, who is the, the spearhead of this task force, did um, seems kind of obvious today. Uh, but really what they did was they started talking. Uh, they started talking and they tried to destigmatize mental health. They formed support groups. They uh, provided resources, offered helps of uh, counselors and therapists, psychologists. Um, and I don't mean to downplay this work, but uh, some of this stuff has just become so much more accessible to us over the last two and a half decades. Um, still not commonplace, still a whole lot of work that we have left to do. Um, but in 1993... If you remember, the movie Mrs. Doubtfire was released. You remember that movie? Like when Robin Williams put on that wig and that mask and that bodysuit, like we all knew we were watching a genius at work. And then came the shocking news that a man so full of laughter had for all of these years of his life been in such inner turmoil. Now, Robin Williams uh, certainly wasn't the first, certainly wasn't the last. Just a couple weeks ago, it was uh, Naomi Judd. But uh, for me, Robin Williams was kind of the catalyst that opened up my eyes to uh, these issues. And mental health uh, became this, this issue for uh, Colonel Litz in the Air Force. So uh, during this small kind of trial period where they were treating people with mental health issues, really just like human beings, uh, they, they found this. This is kind of amazing. These, this was the outcome of that. They found a 33% reduction in suicides, a 51% reduction in homicides, a 54% reduction in domestic violence, and an 18% reduction in accidental deaths. This was historic. I mean, still a whole lot more work to do. Yes, sure, but this was monumental. And so on reflecting on this, uh, Colonel Litz said that while all of this work uh, took a lot of hard work, took a team effort, uh, it was really quite simple. And so he said this, he said, our aim was to give them people, soldiers with mental health issues, give them hope, give them reasons to live and give them protective social connections to help them when they come up against challenges or strife. Give them hope, give them reasons to live, give them protective social connections. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds a whole lot like the purpose of the church. So that's why we're talking about mental health during this month of May. Now, churches are not perfect at this. We are not perfect at this. We still have a lot more to learn, a lot more that we could do. Uh, but at our core, isn't this what a church ought to do? Give hope, offer a, a reason to live. These, these social networks and connections that bind us together. The, the church rose, and, and more importantly, church Circles, when a small group of Christians get together around circles to share life with one another, that they can mean the most to those with the heaviest hearts. And so for the past couple of weeks, we've been uh, talking about Psalms 42 and 43, specifically uh, this question that shows up three times within these two Psalms. 
Uh, so the first time it shows up is Psalm uh, 42, verse 5. It says this. It says, why? Why, I ask myself, are you so depressed? Why are you so upset inside? Hope in God, because I will again give him thanks, my saving presence and my God. Now, if you were here with us uh, last week, I left you all with some homework uh, to go figure out why. <laughs> if, you, if you feel depressed, if you feel like your soul is downcast, ask that question, why? And yes, yes, as we talked about, there, there might be uh, chemistry involved, there might be hormones, there might be psychology involved in all of that stuff. But could there be, could there also be another reason why? Could, could there be a sin that is just weighing you down? Could there be a struggle in your past that has just kept you stuck? Now, we're not going to rehash all of that today. Just go back and listen to last week's message. Instead, what I want to do is I want to take a look at that second part of that verse and really where the command is given, the command to hope. And that's what it says. It says, hope. Psalm 42 says, why am I so depressed? Hope in God, because I will again give him Thanks. And this is actually a command when he says it. He says, do it. You've got you've to hope. It's easier said than done, right? And so what the psalmist isn't saying to himself here, he's not saying, why am I so depressed? Just snap out of it. Turn that frown upside down, Charlie Brown. Let's, let's get out of it. He's not saying that, okay? But hope is a command. It is something that we have to put into practice. Hope is something that we have to make a habit out of. But perhaps before we can follow this command to hope, we need to follow another command. Another command that shows up um, maybe more frequently in the Bible. It's a really important one. It's the command uh, to repent. <laughs> it says, repent. Now, brief word about that word, repent. When we think of repent, um, I don't know about you, but oftentimes the image that comes to mind is the guy with like the sandwich board sign that, that you know, says repent or burn. And um, that's, that's really great. Or the billboard that says hell is hot with flames on it. You know, thank you so much for just showing the love of Jesus to the world. Um, <clears throat> but, but hear me out here. Healing, healing always begins with repentance. Now, please listen carefully because we can so easily slip into the mindset of, of guilt and shame. And we can think repentance means, you know, I just have to say, I'm so sorry and I'm so bad and I'm horrible. And all of this is my fault. The fruit of that, <laughs> the fruit, the fruit of that kind of repentance usually is depression. And that's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of what God wants from us, from repentance. Instead, the true nature of repentance, it, it's not guilt. It's not shame. It's actually peace. That the repentance is this life-giving art, renewing our soul from the inside out. That's what God calls us to the Greek word for repentance that we find in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, uh, is metanoia. Um, it, two words, uh, meta, meaning to change, like metamorphosis. You know that about the butterfly, right? Meta, change, and noia comes from uh, the word nous, meaning mind. So repent means to change your mind. So for followers of Jesus, repentance is not just a one-time thing. It's a way of life that we have to keep changing. We have to keep renewing our minds, seeking 
to have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, to learn how to see the world the way that Jesus sees the world, see ourselves, see our neighbors, see others the way that Jesus sees the world with nothing but love. And so what that means is this, and I quote, we need to think about what we think about. Ta-da. Wax on, wax off. Sounds a little Mr. Miyagi, right? We need to think about what we think about, but we do have to pay attention. We do have to pay attention to what we think about because what we think about influences how we feel and how we feel influences how we behave. And so to get to the root of the issue, get to that, that reason why once we figure it out, then we need to repent. We need to change our minds. One of my favorite uh, lines about repentance comes from the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter three. It's when the apostle Peter is standing up um, after the, the resurrection of Jesus. He's standing up in front of this huge crowd, thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem. And he just gives this really powerful message sermon thing. And then at the end of it, he says this, this is Acts chapter three, verse 19. He says, change your hearts and lives. Repent. That word is metanoia. Change your hearts and lives. Turn back to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then the Lord will provide a season of relief from the distress of this age. And he will send Jesus whom he handpicked to be your savior. Jesus must remain in heaven until the restoration of all things. Now listen, listen to Peter's reason why we need to repent. It's not because hell is hot. No, no. Peter says, repent, change your mind, meaning change all of you, change your heart, change your lives so that one, your sins might be wiped away. So that two, you can have a season of relief. Doesn't that just sound good? A season of relief. And then he says, three, repent, because one day Jesus is going to restore all things one day. Now, when I think of repentance, I usually think about the past guilt, shame, being sorry for what I, I had done in the past. But Peter talks about repentance as something to do with the future, not just the past. He says, repent, change your mind because one day Jesus is going to come and restore all things. One day there will be a day where there is no more weeping, no more crying, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death. That day is coming. And so change your mind now, repent so that you can begin to live in God's good future here and now. And what it takes, what it takes to begin to live that way takes you beginning to change your mind, shift your focus, change your perspective. The apostle Paul would later pick up on what uh, Peter is saying here. And he would kind of go into more detail. Paul says this in Philippians chapter four, he says, be glad in the Lord always. Again, I say, be glad. Let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people. The Lord is near. There's that future again. So don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring all of your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. From now on, brothers and sisters, 
If anything is excellent and if anything is admirable, focus your thoughts on these things. All that is true, all that is holy, all that is just, all that is pure, all that is lovely and all that is worthy of praise and practice put into habit. These things, whatever you learned, received, heard, or saw in us, the God of peace will be with you. Fix your thoughts on these things. Change your mind, repent, change your mind to whatever, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is good and just and holy and worthy of praise. Really repentance is about changing our mind, changing what we set our minds on. You see, sometimes we need to change our minds and repent because our minds get stuck, get stuck in an unhealthy place, get stuck in an unhealthy mindset, a mindset that ends us leaving, leaving us trapped. And so today I, I want to talk about uh, the mind trap of just worry and anxiety for a moment. But to do so, I need to talk about another command of the Bible. Um, one that I don't really like because I'm just really bad at it. Uh, but we talked about the command to hope. Uh, we talked about the command to repent and now the command to not worry. That's one I'm not very good at, but this is what Jesus says about this. This is Matthew chapter six. Jesus says, therefore I say to you, don't worry. Don't worry about your life. What you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll wear, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow or harvest grain or gather crops into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? And who among you, who among you by worrying can add a single moment to your life? Now, this, I think, is like Bob Marley, Jesus saying, don't worry about a thing because every little thing is going to be all right. All right. I'll leave the singing up to Jenny and Brandon. Um, but but here's here's my issue with this. As a worrier myself, I feel like Jesus is just giving me one more thing to worry about. <laughs> that I end up worrying that I worry too much. <laughs> but, but here's what we need to understand about worry. Worry is the first step towards anxiety. Worry is also the first step towards depression because as we've talked about, depression and anxiety are connected. Worry, when it becomes an issue, is repetitive, useless thoughts that get in the way from you being able to problem solve. Now we say that we worry about a lot of things. We worry about um, our kids. We worry about our finances. We worry about our jobs. We worry about a whole lot of stuff, our health. What we really mean by that is we, we mean to say that we're concerned most of the time. Sometimes we do actually worry, but a lot of times when we say that, we're just saying that we're concerned. But worry, worry is getting stuck in that cycle, getting stuck in that mind trap. 
And that's what I think Jesus is talking about here. That when we get so consumed with worry that it ends us, ends up leaving us imprisoned. And that leads us to anxiety and anxiety is worry coupled with fear Anxiety, this is my definition of it. Anxiety is, is the present emotion. It, it's the thing that we, we feel here in the present. It's the present emotion of inner turmoil produced by the uncertainty of or the fear of the future. Now we all wrestle with anxiety in some way or another. We've had anxious thoughts, anxious feelings. Um, and if you're listening to this and you're wondering, wow, I wonder if I have anxiety. Here's how you might know if you have anxiety or not. I, I found this. Um, here's some symptoms. If you have headaches, muscle pain, tension, sleep disturbances, insomnia, chest pain, ringing and pulsing in the ears, excessive sweating, shaking, trembling, cold chills, hot flashes, shortness of breath, accelerated heart rate, numbness or tingling in arms, legs, neck or head, dizziness, upset, stomach, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, or any other unpleasant symptom that may occur, please consult your doctor to see if these or any other symptoms occur as you may have signs of anxiety. Right? You've heard that before, okay? We've all had some of those feelings before. Doesn't necessarily mean anxiety because anxiety, it has this sort of progression to it. So imagine this like downward spiral. Worry is at the top of that spiral because worry is always the first step towards anxiety. Worry, that, that persistent, repetitive, useless thoughts. Worry is the first step. And then from worry comes catastrophizing. Meaning that, that you think of the worst case scenario, not necessarily lies, but just highly unlikely, like 2% of the time this could happen. But you always go to like that scene from Final Destination in your mind, right? That doesn't mean it's going to play out. And then we begin to have those physical responses, you know, nausea, headache, upset stomach, all of that. And then we end up with full-blown anxiety. And now remember... Anxiety is worry mixed with fear. And, and, and I think what Jesus is saying here in this passage, don't worry. I, I think he's really also saying, don't be afraid. Don't, don't be afraid. God is with you. I am with you. And, and I want to walk through this life with you. I think Jesus says, let's, let's reframe our perspective here. Look at the lilies in the field. Aren't they dressed? Look at the birds in the sky. Don't they have food to eat? God's got this. Let's, let's catch this spiral early. That when you start to have those worried thoughts, don't go down to the worst case scenario, but perhaps just a better, more believable one. Don't become overwhelmed with fear. And I think that this is at the heart of what Jesus is saying. And I think this is at the heart of the command from Psalm 42 and 43, where it says hope in God, because I will again, give him thanks, my saving presence and my God. I, I think what, what all of this is getting at is this practical thing of face your worries with God. <laughs> Face your, your worries, face your fears with God. Now, there's two parts to this. The first part is, is face it. You, you've got you've to face it, not, not fight it. Fighting anxiety just leads to more anxiety. That's the whole worrying about worrying too much that Jesus says that I worry too much about worrying. That's not helpful. But face it. Own it. 
Because everything that we do to avoid our fears only strengthens them. But everything that we do to face our fears ends up weakening them. Fear is natural. It's a natural biological response. We're we're going to have fear, but we don't have to be controlled by it. It does not have to be the boss of us. And see, this is where hope comes in. Hope is not the absence of fear. Hope is what our faith calls us to in the face of our fear. And so Jesus's command to not worry. Well, it goes back to his other most famous command. Well, or at least the one that he said most often where he says, fear not, but don't, don't be afraid. He said it all the time. And every time that Jesus said, don't be afraid, he always put a qualifier with it. He said, don't be afraid, fear not for I am with you. Don't worry. Don't worry because, because don't you know how valuable you are to me? Don't worry because don't you know how much I love you? Don't worry because don't you know that I am with you? So face it, face your worries, but face them with God. That's the one thing that, that I do um, to kind of stop me in this anxiety spiral is, is I usually say something like a mantra. And, and by that, I mean something that, that is uh, memorized, something that's kind of repetitive to me. And so it might be something like the Lord's Prayer, it might be a passage of, of scripture or quick breath prayer or something like that. Uh, but one thing that, that's really helpful, I've found, um, is reciting Psalm 23. Um, Now, you all have heard Psalm 23 before, even if you're not a church person, because Hollywood uses it all the time. It's that thing that they use at the graveside scene that the pastor is saying, right? The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anoints my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And now what I love about this Psalm, what I love about this prayer. And I think the reason why Hollywood uses it all the time at those graveside scenes. And the reason why I use it at gravesides as well is because it gets to something that is so central. You see the, the address changes about halfway through this prayer. If you notice, it starts off talking about God. The Lord is my shepherd. He, third person, makes me. He leads me. He guides me. Everything is addressed to God and about God. But then halfway through the prayer, it begins to speak to God directly. And it says, you as if God is, is right there, you are with me, or thou art with me for those King Jimmy fans out there. But, but notice, notice where the shift begins to take place. It, it takes place right in the place where it does for, for most of us, where we begin not just talking about God, but we begin talking directly to God in the valley of the shadow of death. That, that right 
in the middle of the darkest valley, everything begins to change. That this is no longer just a prayer about God. This is a prayer to God. Even though I'm walking through this dark valley, I walk through it with you, God. I know that I'm not alone. You are with me. He, he shifts his perspective. He, he changes his mind. He repents and he begins to face his fear with God. Not just inviting God into this dark valley, but acknowledging that God is already there in the middle of this dark, hard moment. That's hope. Faith in the face of fear. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. For you are with me. So psalmist says, hope in God. Because I will again give him thanks. My saving presence here now. I'll give him thanks. One day. That, that, that season of refreshing that will come. As God prepares for me a table. Anoints my head with oil. Overflows my cup. Hope in God. My saving presence. Hope. It's a command. But listen, it's not a command to try harder. It's not a command to, to strive. It's not a command to fight. It's not a command to just snap out of it. But a command to change. A command to change our minds, reframe our perspective, and face our fears with God. And so my question for us today is maybe a, a simple one. Maybe not. Question is, is God your shepherd? Do you know that? Will, will you allow God to shepherd you? Will, will you allow God to, to lead you wherever you're at? And maybe for some of you, you're, you're in that green pasture. You're beside the still waters already, and it's all good. Maybe for some of you, you're in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. And so whether, whether you're on top of a mountain or that mountain is just standing in your way, the question is, will you allow God to lead you? Will, will you allow hope to be with you in the face of whatever it is that you're going through? Let me pray for us. So God, you are our good shepherd. Jesus, as you say, as you promise to us, Lord, we pray that that would be true. That, that we would trust you, that we would surrender our wills, our lives, our minds, our hearts over to you. God, that, that we would repent and begin to change our minds to see, Lord, that you are with us. Even though sometimes, Lord, it, it may not feel like it for some of us. Help us to reframe. Help us to see that, that you are right here with us. And then you call us with those calming words. Don't worry. Don't, don't fear. Or today I, I pray that we may 
hear your song of rejoicing being sung over us as your sons and your daughters. And God, that we would learn to trust you as our good shepherd. Wherever it is that we are at, Lord, may we know that you are here with us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.